Al Jazeera podcast. Russia is lashing out. Three nights of attacks on Ukraine's ports. Ukrainian grain is vital to keeping the world fed. But in recent weeks, that grain and its movement throughout the world have been under attack. Waves of Russian missile and drone strikes are being directed at Ukrainian infrastructure, and the priority target has shifted to port and other grain facilities. Russia really pummeling the south, Odessa, Mykolaiv. The attacks in Ukraine coincided with Russia refusing to extend a key diplomatic deal. The Black Sea Grain Initiative has allowed safe transport despite the war for the past year. When it was passed, it was hailed as a diplomatic breakthrough. Russia and Ukraine signed deals with the United Nations and Turkey, making way for key grain exports to world markets amid the conflict. This deal could avert a global food crisis, holding off hunger in some of the world's poorest countries. The International Rescue Committee called it a lifeline for the 79 countries and 349 million people on the front line of food insecurity. Today, the story of how all that fell apart. It was a very, very bad moment for the United Nations. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm sitting down with James Bays, Al Jazeera's diplomatic editor based at the United Nations in New York, to understand what it all means. So, James, take us back to the mood when this deal was first struck, or all the times it's been extended since. In the halls of the United Nations, where you spend so much of your time, was there a feeling that this was a real victory for diplomacy, that even in a time of war, an agreement could be reached for the greater good? Or was it always tenuous? It took months and months of negotiation. The UN very, very heavily involved. The Secretary General, Antonio Guterres himself, involved in the negotiations with uh, his humanitarian chief, Martin Griffiths, doing lots of the heavy lifting. Turkey and President Erdogan very involved, speaking to both Ukraine and Russia. And in the end, in July last year, they got a deal and the UN believed it was a very big breakthrough because the thing that worried them most about the humanitarian situation in the world was the grain that was not getting to the starving people in the Middle East and Africa. This was seen as a breakthrough and it was also seen as the only real achievement that the international community and for that matter the United Nations had achieved in many months of war. That This was the first thing and the only thing that the international community had come together on. And yes, you're right, the Secretary-General hailed this as something that was achieved despite the war, despite the real intensity of the battle, despite the hatred being shown between Russians and Ukrainians on the ground. This was a moment where diplomacy had triumphed. That's certainly how they saw it. Today, there is a beacon on the Black Sea, a beacon of hope, a beacon of possibility, a beacon of relief in a world that needs it more than ever. I want to recognize and thank all those who helped make it happen. Then, from the moment the deal was signed, Russia was questioning the deal. The deal was actually in two parts. 
a Russian part and a Ukrainian part. They didn't actually sign the same document. There were two different documents signed with Turkey and the United Nations, two memorandums of understanding. So Russia signed one document, Ukraine signed the other parallel document, mm. and there were two different deals. One to get the grain out of Ukraine, and the second deal to try and make sure that the Russian food and fertilizer, which was is a very big trade for Russia, that they also went back to international markets. And almost as soon as these two bits of paper were signed, Russia started questioning it and saying, are we getting our side of the bargain? Now, the problem with all this is it was the deal that was done, a commercial deal. The UN couldn't itself export all this grain. It had to come up with a deal that would allow shipping companies, insurance companies, and the normal systems of the capitalist world to operate under this UN deal. And that's where the problems emerged on the Russian side. Many of these companies did not want to do business with Russia. Hmm. Okay, so there's a lot in there. I want to unpack a little bit of it. Um, of course. So this great moment for diplomacy. And then on July 17th, Russia announced it was going to let the deal expire without trying to renew it. So effectively pulling out of the deal. What did it do? How did that moment go down? It was a very, very bad moment for the United Nations. The UN had been working and chasing till the last moment a resolution to Russia's problems. The Secretary General of the United Nations had written a very long letter to Vladimir Putin, making some new suggestions and outlining the things that had already been done to help Russia with its side of the deal, because Russia was deeply unhappy that it said that its fertilizers, its ammonia and its grain were not getting to the markets in the same way as Ukrainian grain was. Russia says the deal discriminates against its own agricultural exports. Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova complained that Western sanctions prevent the export of food and fertilizers from Russia. Part of this is because of the restrictions of sanctions on the banking system, the SWIFT system. Well, the Secretary General had arranged one, a banking facility with JP Morgan, uh, the US bank that went outside the SWIFT system, but also he'd arranged a special SWIFT facility with a Russian agricultural bank, a one-off SWIFT facility through the United Nations. The Secretary General wrote out all of these details to President Putin, a one-on-one -on -one letter laid out the UN's position and said, this is why you should not veto this deal. This is why the deal really must go on. And he didn't even get a reply from the Kremlin. No reply whatsoever. Oh. All they got was a terse note, the deal is terminated. Oh, wow. So what was the reaction to Russia pulling out of the deal? And the fact that Russia has attacked Ukrainian grain storage facilities? There's been outrage at the latter, at the attack on Odessa and the repeated attacks on Odessa. We heard recently from the British ambassador both she and the US ambassador, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, said it was obscene that they were waging a war on the poor. Russia is waging war on the world's food supply. It is waging war on the poor at a time when needs are so dire. And you've heard that people are angry and people will die. The Secretary General said he was deeply upset about the decision. He said he deeply regretted the Russian Federation's decision. The UN's public position is that they still hope there might be a way to resurrect this deal. I have to tell you that their private position is they think that's deeply unlikely now. 
because Russia has not only bombed those grain facilities, Russia said that any vessel in the Black Sea that's operating is potentially a military target. Is there anything significant about the timing of this? Why now? Well, I think we for a long time felt that Russia was fed up with the situation and fed up with this deal and was likely to to stop it. But what was interesting is that another long-running UN deal that had been renewed grudgingly was the aid that flowed from Turkey into Syria, the so-called cross-border aid. That was stopped by Russia just a week before this deal. With a swift veto from Russia, the UN Security Council fails to extend humanitarian access to northern Syria. The agreement no longer a hope for the millions in the region at the mercy of international aid. Seeing that perhaps Russia no longer wants to engage in these sort of diplomatic overtures that both these deals represent, certainly several Western diplomats I've spoken to say they feel there's a new level of seriousness from Russia, they're branding it as cruelty from Russia, uh, that Russia is playing much, much harder now. And perhaps this is time to coincide with what's going on on the battlefield, which of course is the efforts by the the Ukrainians at a counteroffensive that so far doesn't seem to have taken very much ground. Mm. So I want to talk about how likely all of this is to seriously affect food security around the world. And to do that, I think it might help to know how important this deal was. What did it do? Well, this was a deal that was restarting the commercial trade in grain from Ukraine, first to Turkey, where the the grain was going on this agreed corridor, agreed by Russia and Ukraine and Turkey as the guarantor of the deal, along with the United Nations. And obviously, from then, from Istanbul, the grain was going all around the world. There's been a lot of grain and other food that has been able to pass through the route because of the deal. A total of 32 million metric tons had passed through this route in the almost a year that this deal was operating. And among those 32 million metric tons, 725,000 of the tons was actually shipped by the World Food Programme to some of the countries in the world like Afghanistan, Yemen, the Horn of Africa, that need humanitarian support. And it was not just the effect of this grain going to countries around the world and feeding people in those countries more than anywhere else, but it also, because it was a commercial deal, part of the global market, this kept grain prices down. So it affected the global prices of grain stocks. And that, of course, helped people all over the world What's happened since the grain deal has been stopped by Russia is not only has this supply of grain through this route, this vital supply been stopped, but grain prices have rocketed. One of the top stories we are tracking this morning is the price of wheat. It surged by the most in a decade yesterday, at one point leaping 9%, with Moscow threatening ships sailing to Ukrainian ports. So is there a chance the deal could be revived? That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, with Russia hosting African leaders, we look at the growing role Moscow is playing on the continent. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, James, in terms of food security, Russia is also a major grain producer. 
President Vladimir Putin says Russia's capable of providing free grain to countries in Africa that might need it. Russian commitment to support African nations in regard to access to grain comes as a huge relief for a continent grappling with food insecurity. And he also held this Russia-Africa summit late last week in St. Petersburg. We will be prepared to provide Burkina Faso, Zimbabwe, Mali, Somalia, the Central African Republic, and Eritrea 25,000 to 50,000 tons of grain free of charge in the next three or four months. We will also provide free delivery of these products to consumers. Does Russia actually have the capacity to provide that grain? Or is this seen as rhetoric as the deal was collapsing? I think on this particular issue, Russia is pretty strong right now. They have happened to have had this year a record harvest. They have plenty of grain. And of course, Vladimir Putin is now in a position because of his actions, because of his ending of this deal, because of his bombardment of the port of Odessa, the grain price is going up. So his record grain, bumper grain harvest is worth much more to him than it was previously. So yes, they have the capacity, I think, What is interesting is the reaction of some of these countries that have been affected, particularly the reaction of the African countries. There were 43 countries that went to Putin's last summit in 2019. The summit that just took place had nothing like that, uh, under half the number of African countries represented. And some notable countries decided not to go. One country, a very important player in in Africa is perhaps worth taking as an example, and that's Kenya. Kenya's view during this war has been an interesting one. You'll remember the Kenyan ambassador to the United Nations made a very impassioned speech to the UN Security Council in the early days after the war in Ukraine, making the point that Africa needed to care what was going on and condemning what Russia had done. Interestingly, at the high-level week at the UN in New York last year in September, I interviewed the Kenyan president, William Ruto, who'd only just taken office, and his tone had changed at that point. He said to me, look, we can't get involved in big countries' power struggles. We need to end this war, and they need to come to a peace deal as soon as possible. And that, I think, those sort of comments would have disappointed the West, would have disappointed Ukraine. Now look what Kenya said when the grain deal was cancelled. President Ruto was very, very angry and scathing towards Russia, and he's one who decided to boycott that summit in St. Petersburg. Many other African countries not as forthright, hedging their bets, but I think they're keeping their options open when it comes to superpower politics. They don't want to completely alienate Russia and they don't want to turn down any option of food and grain that might come from Russia. But the fact that Russia is a big producer and exporter of grain means it also benefited from the Black Sea Grain Initiative over the past year. Are they shooting themselves in the foot by pulling out of the deal? It's an interesting question, and I've heard it argued both sides, a senior UN official telling me they are, and then a senior US official saying, no, actually, Russia might well benefit because Mm. of the size of their grain harvest in 2023. Mm. To be honest, I think we're going to have to look back on this in a few months' time to work out who's right. But certainly, President Putin thinks that this is the right strategy for now. Mm. 
So, James, we mentioned the negotiations behind all of this, and I want to talk about one central player, and that's Turkey. The country was a big part of brokering this deal, and it's been one of the biggest recipients of that grain passing through the Black Sea. President Putin has a personal relationship with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Erdogan is staying on as president of Turkey after winning the runoff presidential election. Russian President Vladimir Putin congratulated his, quote, dear friend on his victory. So it's possible that that played a part in Turkey brokering that deal as well. Could Turkey play any role in reviving it? Well, certainly President Erdogan is not saying the deal is dead. They're using the word suspended, and he believes, or publicly he's saying, that there could be a way of restoring the deal. As you say, the Russia-Turkey relationship is fascinating. Personally, these two leaders, President Erdogan and President Putin, seem to have a rapport, despite the fact that Turkey is one of the largest countries in NATO. They are certainly the bridge. They are certainly the key part, along with the United Nations, of what created this grain deal. Could there be a new restoration of the grain deal? Uh, That would rely, I think, on personal diplomacy from President Erdogan towards President Putin, who we understand is going to visit Turkey at some point in August. It's worth saying that Ukraine is also pushing for the grain deal to be restarted. But Ukraine has the idea, and it's floating it at very high levels, that perhaps the grain deal can be restarted without Russia. Now, that, of course, is a pretty dangerous undertaking when Russia has said that any civilian ship that is carrying grain in the Black Sea will be seen as a military target. But the idea coming from the Ukrainian side, I'm told, is that they could bring the grain in Ukrainian territorial waters, hugging the coast, particularly now they control that strategic Snake Island. Do you remember that island that was taken in the early days of the war by Russia and then retaken by Ukraine? And take the grain no longer to Turkey, but instead to Romania, which of course is a NATO country. Many I've spoken to about this don't think it's a viable option. They don't think the commercial shipping companies and insurance companies would want to take the risk. Uh, and there is a big risk here um, of, of, of shipping um, being hit potentially by Russia, even if it's hugging the coast of Ukraine. And of course, if something was hit as it entered Romanian waters, that I think creates a real nightmare scenario of NATO getting pulled into the war. Finally, James, for you and your job, you don't often get to see too many successes, unfortunately. And and last year marked a success. What has that been like for you covering this? Um, first, that, that, that positive moment in this war and then the unraveling of it. I think, to be honest, when they arranged the deal, we were all reporting on it being a rare moment of diplomatic success. Even on that day when I was covering what had happened, we were all laying out, I think, the scenarios where this could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And ever since, we were looking at Russia's objections because every time that Russia decided grudgingly to renew this deal, Russia made it clear, we're probably not going to do this again because we're not happy with the way it's operating. So I think... Although it was a diplomatic success, from moment one, there were doubts about its longevity. And there are some who might say that it was lucky to have lasted a year. And that's The Take. 
This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra and David Enders, with Zaina Bazar, Sonia Bagat, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Veronisa Campana, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Al-Milek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back tomorrow.